Welcome to the Future of Learning and Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Keir. Each week, I highlight the people and companies shaping the future of education, training, and work. This week's guest is Ruben Harris, co-founder and CEO of Career Karma. Career Karma bills itself as the easiest way to find a job training program online. Ruben and I discuss breaking into tech, career matchmaking, unlocking human capital, and more. Hope you enjoy and don't forget to share and review. So I know you've told this story a million times and you even wrote a blog post about it, but it's fascinating and inspiring. So can you talk about how you broke into tech and your move to SF? Yeah. Um, so I was, I moved to San Francisco in 2014. Um, I started my career at a company called Art School, Honor, um, and then Hustle before going to Y Combinator and eventually raising money to start Career Karma. But the backstory behind it is I um, I went to small church schools my whole life, um, Adventist schools my whole life. Um, I had a 2.98 GPA in college and I I wanted to become big in, in, in business. And the reason why I wanted to be big in business is because um, I started playing the cello when I was four years old. So. Um, but in order to be successful as a tellus, you have to actually, um, master business when you achieve a certain level of success. And so one, as a classical musician, I met an investment banker that told me that if I wanted to learn business in a short amount of time, uh, I should do investment banking in the finance world. And the problem with that is going to a small church school with nobody that I knew that was an investment banker. Um, I didn't know the ways of how to get in. So long story short, when I graduated school, I had no internships and I didn't realize, that, and no work experience, I didn't realize that to be an investment banker, you have to train for this for a very long time. Um, and I discovered a blog called Mergers and Inquisitions. And what was cool about Mergers and Inquisitions is that um, they launched a course called Breaking into Wall Street that teaches you financial modeling. Um, and I signed up, I took all the courses, um, I sent out and they explained how to break into finance. So I sent out 900 emails. I, I crashed career fairs and I ultimately got a job as an investment banker in Chicago at BMO Capital Markets. Um, I stayed in banking for about three years. I got recruited by another investment bank in Atlanta. And during this time period, um, the tech world was taking over the finance world. And Atlanta, the, the bank I worked for was SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. Um, that's where I met my first co-founder, which is Archer Meister, um, and, he, and he and I hit it off uh, because I'm an artist and he was running a website, buying and selling contemporary art. So it was an art marketplace. And, he, and so we talked a lot about art in the art world, just given my music background and all of that. And he was like, if you think I'm cool, guess, guess what? I got, a, I got a twin brother. I was like, what? That's crazy. And so his, his twin, Timor Meister, was an auto trader at the time. And so none of us uh, knew how to code. We were just playing around um, and just talking about business all the time. Atlanta Tech Village had just launched across the street. And um, I, I know I said long story short already, but long story, long story, one of our buddies quit the investment bank and popped up as a software engineer in, in three months. And we were like, how did he do that? His name was Adam Waxman. And he actually went to a boot camp called Flatiron School and he was in the same cohort as Jack Altman, who was Sam Altman's brother from Y Combinator, um, which is how we discovered what Y Combinator was. 
and what boot camps were at the same time. And what Y Combinator says is, if you want to build a billion dollar companies, you got to do things that don't scale in the beginning. So you got to write code and talk to users. And we didn't know what we wanted to build, but we knew that none of us knew how to code. So one of us had to be the coders. And so Archer and Timo decided that they were going to be the coders and be the engineers, and they would go to boot camps. And I would be the top to users guy, the CEO guy that raises the money and does the sales. So I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco while they did boot camps. Um, I got a job three weeks later. I wrote a story about it called Breaking into Startups. They moved out. They got jobs. Instead of working on, on our company first, we decided to take a similar investment banking approach and work for three different startups for three years um, while working on side projects and organizing events. Um, and then we, we told stories of everyday people like us called Brit in our, on our podcast in 2016. And then um, that helped us uh, get to where we are today. So there's a lot of other parts of the story, but I, I started noticing I was getting along on that. But that's the that's how we broke in. No, you're good. Um, you have this track record of breaking into industries, both finance and tech, with little to no network or connections. And then you've, you've kind of documented some of that through your blog posts, but also through the podcasts you do. What are, what are the keys to breaking into an industry or a role or a company? That's a good question. Um, I, think, I think the first thing that you want to do is not approach it in a transactional way. I think a lot of people, when they think about networking, they think about, you know, what school did you go to? What what um what your GPA was, what companies you work for, and just a lot of these like professional accolades, SAT scores, GMAT scores, none of that really matters. Like I think I think taking a more like non personal dating type approach, like what's your name, what's your sign, like what hood you grew up in, like that type of approach, like what's your favorite football team? Right. For example, like if you're a Chiefs fan or a Bucks fan, like that's a perfect setup for conversation with the Super Bowl happening right now. Um, if you have a favorite restaurant or favorite type of food or favorite pastime like skiing or snowboarding or even a board game like Catan or a favorite anime that you like to watch, that's a very natural point of entry to to create an icebreaker to talk to somebody. So I'll, I'll usually try to find some personal form of connection with whoever I'm trying to connect with that um, so it doesn't come off transactional. Then you want to understand what is, what is the language of the industry that you're trying to get into. I mean, people underestimate the power of words um, and, there's, and, and how jargon works. And there's a lot of jargon out there. And, and there's special ways to present things. That's why storytelling is so, so important. So um, with finance, I had to learn like what a DCF is. I had to know what, what, um, what, a, what, a, what EBITDA is, right? And EBIT and all this type of stuff that like most, most people don't talk about in, in that type of language. What's M&A? Like what's all that type of stuff? You know, what's leverage? Um, with tech, you know, VC, Series A, Series B, like there's all these different things. You, you got to know the language so that when you speak and you mix in the personal and the professional, you, you sound like, you know, like when, when you, when you move to Rome, you got to talk like the locals do, right? You got to, you got to, you got to be, but at the same time, 
don't code switch either. You still got to have your uniqueness as well. So you got to be able to speak the language, but still be unique. I know that sounds kind of like a lot. So I think that's important. Then you have to, when you tell your story and you're establishing credibility and you're establishing the personal connection, you have to communicate in a way so that the individual or individuals see themselves in you. Something that my father always told me is that if you have a compelling story, complete strangers will go out of their way to help you. Why will they help you? It's because you remind them of themselves when somebody else helped them, right? So you want to trigger that spark. And so once you have sparked that in their head, then you need to create FOMO. And the way you create FOMO is by talking about how you're having similar conversations with other people that are similar to them. But the reason why you're specifically talking to them is because of X, which leads to them requesting to take action to help you versus you asking them. So that's, that's how you do it. That last piece sounds very similar to Mark Andreessen's favorite quote of uh, Steve Martin, where he says, be so good, they can't ignore you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that piece of advice. Uh, I think a lot of the reason you had to go kind of a, a contrarian route to break into these industries is because um, optimizing for talent and, and surfacing talent in these spaces isn't great right now. A lot of people are going through the same uh, pipelines or approaches, applying online, waiting their turn. Um, and it seems like this, this whole application and admission and interviewing process is fundamentally broken. How do you envision that changing and improving and what piece does, does uh, Career Karma play in that? Yeah, so I think, I think that's a good question. So I think taking a step back when you think about our, the world's greatest resource, the world's greatest resource is time, it's time. And so the reason why applying on the website doesn't work very well is because you have people that are in charge that are are scarce on, on time, right? So like a recruiter, if they're at a hot company, they're gonna get thousands of applications and they have to filter through what they think is gonna be worth their time. And that's always gonna be flawed because a lot of times the recruiter, and this is no shade to recruiters because I love recruiters, um, often isn't the hiring manager and isn't super clear on exactly what the what the um, hiring manager needs. And they rely on traditional signals like college degrees or GPAs or whatever. But let's say that you actually do care about, about people, you don't care about those signals and you completely remove it. You say, I don't, the HR person is super clear on who they're looking for and all this type of stuff. Um, the problem is, is no matter what you put on the resume, it's, it's very difficult to assess talent if it's not traditional, right? And so a hiring, a, a recruiter is going to only, is gonna do their best job to present the candidates that they think are worth the hiring manager's time. And the facts of the matter is, is that most jobs are offline and come through referral. And so the recruiter is responsible for this, but everybody in the company is usually looking for people in their network to 
bring on to the team. And so given that we understand the dynamic, when you think about the role that career karma plays as we aggregate talent and we match them to the right training programs and we have people in training programs and we have people in the job search and we have people employed, imagine if I can show you all of the Chiefs fans across the United States that graduated from your specific boot camp that are women. That's pretty interesting. What if I could also tell you the ones that were also former um, teachers that are now working at ed tech companies as software engineers. Now you have people that you have established a personal relationship that, that, that you could establish a personal relationship with that understand your struggle, that can assess if you're ready for the company. So now CareerCom will be able to match you to those specific people that are aligned with you on a personal and a professional level. Those individuals can refer you directly to the hiring manager without having to go through the recruiter. But if you're not ready, they can tell you what you need to do in order to get ready and how to communicate so you can learn the language so that you can break in. We're not there yet, but that's in, in the future we'll be able to tell um, we're going to be able to tell, uh, have better data than the Department of Labor and Department of Education in real time because we sit as a bridge between the education world and the labor world. But once we have that data and those people that are using the platform on a day-to-day -day basis, we can match them to each other whenever they need each other. Make sense? Yeah. So, so you were speaking about the the importance of matchmaking within the admissions or the hiring process. Um, but, but I think there's also something special that career karma does within your, your community or your peer support network um, where you have the ability to connect with other like-minded and, and like background folks um, who are in a similar stage of their career or life as you. Can you speak to the importance of the, the peer community within your platform? Yeah. So to your point, you know, that starts way earlier. So, you know, when, when people look for a mentor, they're looking for, a lot of times they're looking for people that are like three years out or five years out or 10 years out, like super senior talent. But the most valuable people are actually peers that are at your level once to end one step above you. And what we do when we match someone to the right training, we also match people to other people that are seeking that training that are peers. And we also match them to someone that just got into that training that can help them, right? And we, we put them in small groups that we call squads um, so that they have this shared struggle that drives them through all obstacles when things don't seem so bright. Um, and in exchange for interacting with people and, and, and having access to people ahead of them, the person that is working with the person that's already in the training program has to help someone that has never heard of boot camps, for example. And then once you're in a training program, then your job is to, if you want to get access to people in the job search, then you have to help people trying to get into the training program. If you're in the job search and you want to get access to people that are employed, then you have to help people that are currently in the bootcamp trying to get to the job and so on and so forth. So it's a, a never-ending ladder of people helping people, which at the end of the day, um, our software is, is trying to connect humans to humans. Playing off that line of thinking, what are some of the other hurdles uh, within that pipeline? 
whether it's to getting people, you know, helping raise awareness for the vocational or bootcamp programs that are available to them, um, financing equipment. I know you guys have this Reskill America program. What are the other hurdles that, that people have to jump over and, and how are you trying to alleviate those? Yeah, I think when you think about um, jobs, a lot of people, we're entering into the end of the age of occupational identity, right? Back in the day, you know, it was all about like, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an engineer, like that gave you status on who you are, like people playing status games. But since people are going from school to school to school and company to company to company, um, like, who are you? You know, you're not an engineer, or designer, or data scientist no more. You're just, you're just, um, you know, you just Spencer Keir, you know? And what does that mean? And, and the reason why I bring that up is because the biggest issue that people deal with in the beginning when they come to career karma is embracing themselves and and wrestling with their own identity and overcoming imposter syndrome. It's very psychological. And, and, and what we tell people when they come to us is that like, I know you're coming here for reinvention and for a new life and all these other things, but like you already have a lot to bring to the table. And how do we take these new skills that you're developing to make you an even more powerful version of yourself. It's like it's like Iron Man. It's like just putting a bodysuit on yourself and like making it better and better over time, you know, or Iron Woman or whatever, right? And so I think as as you think about this type of stuff, it's, it's, it's key. So we help people overcome imposter syndrome. And one of the best ways to help people overcome imposter syndrome is to connect you with another person that has the same struggle or had the same struggle that you had that did it that you can talk to today, right? That automatically creates a magical experience. And then we make sure that they get used to making progress on a daily basis. I think like people don't have good habits, kind of very similar to working out. So you gotta create some kind of consistency where they're doing something on a daily basis or at least three to five days a week. So we gotta help them overcome that hurdle. Um, I also think a lot of people struggle with communication. So how do we help people communicate better? Um, I think about 50%, according to Triple Byte, 50% of engineering interviews fail for non-technical reasons. So how do you communicate verbally? How do you create, communicate in a written way? Um, and then also, how do you pick companies that you wanna work for? Um, you know, a lot of people just know about the fame companies, but there's, many startups that get funded every single day and how do you pick companies that are worth your time going back to time being the most valuable resource right essentially you're being a vc with your time and you're picking a company that has the fastest rate of learning and connections that you can have in a one to three year period right and so that's the thing what is a vc what is a startup understanding the language that's another thing we help people overcome um but to your point, you know, the, the more traditional things that people think about is, you know, how do I get access to a device? So we have a laptop program where if you need a laptop and you're enrolled in the program, we're giving away 5,000 laptops this year. So we got laptops for you. Um, broadband access, that's an issue. How do you find a program that will help you overcome credit issues? We have, we have things that we can, we can do there. Um, 
some people ran out of unemployment aid. And so we'll connect them to programs that offer a living stipend where you get paid $1,500 a month while you're going through the program. So can we do that? Right. So, so different, different things like that are, are, are how we approach it. Um, so, um, other things, other things like that is, is schedule. So how do you find not just a part-time program, but something that helps you deal with your kids, um, or, or work with your kids or around your kids schedule, um, veterans, like how do you get veteran support? That's a big one. Recently, we've actually had quite a few people come to us to have uh, disabilities. And so there's some situations where an um, the government will pay for your tuition. Um, and the other one that I've seen a lot recently is like employer coming in to pay for it. So those are, those are the main things I see. Everything you listed speaks to how multifaceted this problem is. It's not on, on the surface, career, career karma and, and other similar platforms seem like it's as simple as let's find a boot camp for you. But there's there's 10 or 15 or 20 different problems kind of embedded in that. Um, and, and it's awesome to hear that you guys are thinking about all of those and how do we lower the barrier across the board, not just in terms of matchmaking you to the or matchmaking for the right boot camp. Um, mm -hmm. What is it about this problem that you guys are working on uh, that first attracted you or you, you gravitated towards and why are you so passionate about it? So Career Coma is the product that we wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. Um, like I told you, I, I went to schools that were great on a education level and a spiritual level and an emotional level, but like very strong in healthcare, not as strong in like finance and the tech world and all these other things that like I had never been exposed to. And so I was flying blind in this world. And I would argue that like most people in the world that are in the working world are flying blind. And they, they, they're, just, they're just told you know, go to college, get a four-year degree, and you'll figure it out. But like, I think I forgot the stats, but something like 40% of, of recent college grads are underemployed. And many of them like don't find the right jobs that they want, like five, six years out. There's a new article that just came out in Inside Higher Ed with these different stats. And I'm not saying college is bad because I'm a college graduate, but, you know, a lot of people just think that education is a savior. And I'm, uh, I'm going to bring it back to like even boot camps, because you did say this is multifaceted, right? Certificates and degrees don't get you jobs, and neither does learning how to code. You know, it's, it requires a lot more. It's like building companies is a team sport. You have to learn how to work with other people. You have to learn how to build projects together. You have to learn how to deal with conflict and, and, and move fast and, and, and be open-minded and change your, and, 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 change your opinion and just be open to feedback and be coachable. And a lot of the, the most successful people aren't the greatest coders. They're just like adaptable. They're able to adapt and interact into, into any environment. And so part of the, what drives me is the fact that there are educational institutions that exist that can train you to be employed in a high paying job in less than a year. So that's, that's number one. 
most of the world doesn't know that number two so we need to create a, a media muscle that wakes people up and says guess what guys you can do this very fast and, and girls you can do this fast and then number three all right what are the action items that you can take and if we can train up these people the the world's going to change like the 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 greatest resource in the world is untapped human potential right 55 million americans filed for unemployment last year bro so i told you 5000 laptops if 5000 people get jobs making 100,000 dollars that's a half a billion dollar impact right imagine if we did that for 55 million people and that's not even the entire world there's 3 billion people in the workforce and 2 billion of them are working class. There's a really great uh, McKinsey report about online talent platforms that says, that talks about the opportunity and how we can actually increase global GDP by like, increase GDP by I think like 2.5 trillion or something like that, something in the trillions by 2025, just by better matching, better exposure, better training and things like that. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to wake our people up and not just so that they can get money and get skills, but, but most importantly to find their purpose because we're all put on this earth for a reason and figure out how we can do this as a collective in an organized way. Um, because at the end of the day, the 99% really has the power. We're just not organized. So I'm just trying to, trying to organize people and create uh, one of the most special communities that the world's ever seen. Yeah, there's ton of, a ton of human potential to be unlocked. Um, a, a lot of the words and phrases you use speak to career karma being about so much more than just finding a job or, or retraining for a new job. It's, it's the psychological aspect. It's, it's finding fulfillment and purpose. Um, what is the, the total vision for career karma? What is like the, the philosophy behind it? And where do you want to take this five, 10, 15 years in the future? Yeah, I mean, when we think about five, 10 year vision, we ask ourselves what's not going to change in the world versus like what is going to change. And so what's not going to change is people wanting to get jobs, people wanting to know where they need to go to get the skills for the jobs, um, people wanting to know how to pay for those jobs. Ideally, that doesn't cost any money. and then. Um, how to get hired once they have those skills. And so in the future, we want, um, and, and also how to have people that are that are like them along the way that they can be friends with on this journey so they can have a strong network. So um, when I think about our five to 10 year vision, I want career, like we want career comedy to be a destination where um, um, if you want to get a, any job in any skill set, you can go to career comedy and we can match you with the right people with the right schools, with the right companies at the right time. So uh, we're not just the number one destination for career advice on the internet, but we're the, we're the, we're the number one career navigation platform on, uh, across, the, across the world. You know, there's, you know how Reddit calls themselves the homepage of the internet? I want this to be like the front door to the tech industry. It's kind of like, this is like this red pill or blue pill, you know, which one are you going to pick? You know, if this is the one that, this is how you exit the matrix and start understanding what the world really is. Love that. Um, 
both people who are early in their career haven't even found a career yet and people who are further along in their lives but are looking to, to retrain and, and jump into a different career, use your platform. Focusing on the latter for a second, um, the, the idea of reskilling and retraining, um, especially in, in the face of the looming threat of, of AI, um, sounds great and needed but there, a lot of uh, people have concerns about how realistic and feasible it is to reskill. What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think AI is definitely going to automate a lot of things. But I also think that, and it, and very quickly. But I also think it's going to create a lot of opportunities for a lot of things. I think it's just going to accelerate um, automation. I, I would I would argue a bigger catalyst to this workforce reskilling thing than AI and automation is actually COVID-19. COVID-19 has actually, I spent all my time talking about this subject right here during YC Demo Day about auto, robots and automation and, and things like that and how 375 million workers are going to sw- have to switch careers between now and 2030 because of AI. Like nobody really fully believed me until COVID-19 hit. And so I think the argument about no jobs being out there is actually needs to be unpacked. And let me unpack it real quick. So most of the world doesn't know how to code. And half of the world, like I think it's like less than 10%. It's not even less than 5% of the world knows how to code. Half the world is not connected to the internet. And now that everybody is quarantined, the people that are thriving are people that are in these like tech jobs and the tech is, the world is booming. And so what's happening now is actually an acceleration of the entire world being digitally connected. Like Apple just had a hundred billion dollar quarter. There's a billion iPhones out there. The, re- the first thing that SpaceX is doing with Elon Musk um, uh, launching people into, into Mars, to, to call, his first step is not colonizing Mars, is actually launching satellites into space so that he could create Starlink. And the reason why Starlink is important to understand is because it's creating low cost global internet that connects the rest of the world to technology. So once the entire world is connected to technology and devices are connected to technology and companies are connected to technology, that's going to increase the demand for coders. And yes, AI is going to do things to to driverless cars where truck drivers are gonna be decimated um, and a bunch of other grocery retail is gonna be decimated. You're gonna have like cashierless places and a bunch of other things like that, but it's going to increase the need, not just for coders, but also for salespeople, also for for, um, customer service people, designers, data scientists, because data is the new oil and a bunch of other things. And the reason why I know this is because one of the tech companies I worked for was at um, was at Honor, which was connecting caregivers with um, seniors and their families so that they can get caregiving services. And the reason why I bring this up is because when we think about labor, the labor markets, our workforce is getting older. There's 50,000 people turning 65 every day for the next 19 years. Um, our people are living longer. And the reason why I bring this up is because a robot is not going to do a perfect job at caregiving. That's one of those jobs that's like, it's, it's way too nuanced. Um, and it's going it, to, there's ways that technology can supplement. 
but but there's going to be certain things like that that require human involvement um and but i do think that like ai will accelerate more leisure time and so like how do we use the extra leisure time do we introduce a basic basic income and things like that so um those are those are things that I think would happen maybe like seven, 10 years out. But for now, the demand for jobs for everybody is not going away. That's only accelerating, especially for technology. I, I would say the biggest challenge is making sure that our, our education system can keep up, which is part of the reason why we started with boot camps because they are keeping up. However, they don't have the scale that colleges have, which is why you're starting to see partnerships with companies like Southern New Hampshire University and boot camps and things like that that can graduate hundreds of thousands of years. But what we really need is actually the government and the entire employer workforce getting behind reskilling because rapid reskilling is one of the most critical issues of our time, not just economically, but also politically in the United States and all over the world. And where we can see an example of where people are doubling down on education and reskilling is China. Um, so look, and, and also India. So if you look at ed tech funding, the biggest ed tech funding came last year. Holland IQ has this reports, China leading the pack with like over 10 billion last year. But when you got a billion people, which is their population, all rowing in the same direction towards technology and doubling down on education, um, we're gonna have a problem on our hands. Um, if we don't, and we're not gonna be the most attractive place to, to build a company if we don't catch up on, in the United States. That was a, a great summary of the, the landscape. Um, in, in closing, I was wondering if there are any teachers or mentors or experiences with, with a teacher or mentor that had a profound impact on you early on that you'd be willing to share. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a few of them. I think um, um, Michael Seibel is definitely one of my closest mentors. Um, one of the things that he encouraged me to do early on was like to just to just go for it. A lot of times these people sit around his, the exact phrase that he said is like, you are nothing until you launch. Right. So all these ideas, calling yourself an entrepreneur, a founder, saying you want to break into tech, saying you want to learn how to code, like none of that matters unless you've actually started doing it and you have to actually like do it. Um, and it and it goes hand in hand with that quote from Reed Hoffman that says like, if you aren't embarrassed at the first version of the product, you've launched too late. But if you think about yourself as a startup of you, you know, our society has pushed us towards perfection, not realizing that that is, that is harmful, right? You, you should actually put like, see yourself as being in permanent beta and always launching, always be launching, always be learning, enjoy the marathon, play the infinite game. Don't, don't play the finite game. There is no winning the losing, losing. The whole purpose of the game is to keep playing, right? There's players that come in and out of the game. The rules can change, right? You have to be able to adapt and interact in any environment. So I would say, that you are nothing until you launch is is probably a, a a very a very good one. And then I had another one that my buddy um gave me. 
um, his name is Brian Seargus. Um, he, he told me um, a quote that says, faster, faster until the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death. And the reason why I like that quote is because the only difference between startups and any other type of company is growth. And so if you wanna build a company, it doesn't have to be venture-backed. But if you wanna build a startup that changes the world, you have to take advantage of these like moments of time, right? And you have and 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 in order to take advantage of those moments in time, you have to move very quickly. And so always keeping in mind that you don't just have to launch, but you have to move quickly to hit your goals or to validate or invalidate experiments. And your experiments should result in learnings that add value to the organization even if it was a failed experiment. If you can, if you can operate in that way um, and never run out of money and just keep your personal burn rate low and keep your company burn rate healthy, low in the beginning, but then like investing strategically into growth, then, um, then you're unstoppable. So. I, I like your earlier application of that to yourself too. The, the same principles that we apply within a startup uh, we should be applying in our own lives too. You, you said uh, treating it as if we're in a constant beta. I, I love that mm-hmm. phrasing. Um, mm-hmm. is, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with and, and also where can they find you and follow along with your journey? Um, yeah, I would say this is like, it's going to sound completely random, um, but a board game that I've gotten obsessed with over quarantine has been Catan, Settlers of Catan. And I think that like, and I've taught it to like my entire family. And I think I really like it because it makes me think about how you would operate in a world where money doesn't exist. And it's a straight barter economy. It teaches a lot about society. It teaches a lot about how to communicate with each other, um, how to, um, collaborate with each other, how to build resources, how to manage resources, a lot of stuff related to economics. So I would encourage people to learn how to play Catan. And then um, I would also encourage people that want to learn how to tell stories to study anime films. And that's something else that I've been like very obsessed with. So anyway. Games and stories. That's all it all is. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the number of people like Toby from uh, from Shopify comes to mind. The number of people who who point back to games in their early childhood and like the, the formative um, experience they had and how that shaped their understanding of business and engineering and such is like it's it's incredibly high. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to review and share, and stay tuned for more episodes.